Hello, this is the Atlanta Storytellers Podcast. My name is John Carr. There are so many great literary shows, poetry shows, and storytelling shows here in Atlanta. So many amazing artists producing incredible work that lives and sometimes dies at these performances. This podcast is designed to capture that work and share it with the rest of the world. And so, here are some of those stories. Hey, my name's uh, David Russell. I've read this story or told this story at uh, Carapace at Manuel's Tavern, a storytelling show that's the fourth Tuesday of every month. So I caught the acting bug uh, before my fifth grade, uh, fifth grade year. I was taken to see Peter Pan with Kathy Rigby, and that summer was actually the height of my popularity because I also had a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles-themed bowling birthday party with uh, bowling and an unlimited use of the Ninja Turtles video game and cake and an open bar for the parents, which is why so many of the parents of the kids uh, got taxi cabs home afterwards. But that was definitely the height of my popularity. And after I saw that Peter Pan, I wanted so badly to star in the fifth grade musical, A Cause for Mrs. Claus. And what I did was uh, I went to the library and I read up on acting. And what they to- what they talked about was method acting in this book that was like far too advanced for anything I should actually be reading. So because Santa was always bald, I spent that summer pulling out the hair from the back of my head so I could be a bald Santa Claus by the time auditions came around. And I, I, it, I was there and my mom was terrified and she took me to the doctor and she's like, what's going on? And he's like, it appears he's doing this himself. And I was like, I told you, mom, I want to be Santa Claus. And I'd also be walking the dog uh, in August and yelling out, ho, 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 and you know, making the neighbors really suspicious of me and my family. So uh, fifth grade comes and I auditioned for the part the third week of school. And let me tell you, uh, having a bald spot um, on the back of your head right around the time of not only Ninja Turtles but Karate Kid uh, makes for amazing wax on, wax off jokes. So I, I, uh, that was pretty much what I heard every day, but I didn't care because I just wanted to be Santa Claus. So I auditioned for this part and I get it and I am the lead and I'm going to be Santa Claus and I am just so so excited and the whole play is about how Mrs. Claus is fed up with Santa and uh, the fact that she isn't being thanked for all that she does and she flees and Santa has to try and find her and grovel and beg for her return and there's this main number called catch that loving feeling uh, that I had to si- that I had to sing with Mrs. Claus. It was our big duet, and I would practice that every night. And the only other characters, which besides me and Mrs. Claus, were the two elves, uh, and they were like wild cards. But they would say they would say lines like, "She cooks, she cleans, she washes our clothes. Why she's unhappy, nobody knows." And uh, about a uh, a month into this whole process and rehearsals, uh, we had a student teacher named Mr. Schwartz in our fifth grade classroom. And Mr. Schwartz, well, I wish I had seen Spaceballs before I did, because that would have been amazing. But he told us that uh, 
he knew Candace Cameron and Kurt Cameron and that he wanted he would ask them to come to our performance. This was in Buffalo, New York, but he knew them and they were supposedly going to be in Toronto and could make our performance. And as soon as I heard that, I knew I'd be a star and going to Hollywood. So when my parents would tell me to rake the leaves, I would say, um, you're going to miss me when I'm in Hollywood. I don't want to do that. And when we worked the school store, uh, Amy, who played Mrs. Claus and I, we would sign our names like autographs for students when they bought like pencils and Mrs. Claus, you know, Amy, David, Santa, because they were going to be worth something very soon when we made our full house debut. And uh, about a month before the play was ready to perform, uh, Mrs. Wiltberger, our music teacher, came, uh, brought us to her house to work on our songs. And that day I'd come right from a basketball game and she was having her rugs cleaned, but I was a star, so I didn't think she wanted me to take my shoes off. So I walked into this room with her piano with muddy shoes straight through these new carpets and she flipped out. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm Santa, I don't take my shoes off. And she disagreed with that. So uh, I, I did then take my shoes off, but we were uh, rehearsing, catch that loving feeling. And she's like, stop, David, you can't sing. And I was like, shouldn't this have come up in five years worth of chorus and whatnot? And she's like, no, you can't sing. I, all we can do is we can turn your solos into speaking parts. So that's exactly what they did. So Amy would sing the song and I would be like a soliloquy, my parts without piano. And I didn't know how Candace Cameron would react to this. And I was very nervous, uh, nervous about that. So I, I tried, you know, I gave it my best. And uh, the day of the performance came and we were going to do one for the school in the afternoon and then one for the parents at night where we'd be discovered by Kirk and Candace Cameron. And uh, the afternoon performance, I'm dressed as Santa, and it really goes well. Even my soliloquy is pulled off. The kids are still impressed. And I am so excited that I don't even take my Santa Claus costume off. And I'm walking home, and again, this is Buffalo, and it's already snowing out. And, like, it's a convergence of middle schoolers and parents and us, us young elementary schoolers walking home. And then all of a sudden, they see this 80-pound kid in a Santa costume and they start throwing snowballs at me and they don't stop throwing snowballs at me. So I'm just running and running and I'm like, a fi I'm a fifth grade Santa running for his life, trying to get home. And finally I get home and I hop the fence and like my costume is torn. So I, I duct tape it to fix it and I'm ready for tonight. And all I can think of is full house. All I can think of is being discovered by Candace Cameron. Uh, so we go back for the night performance and it, it's like that scene in Waiting for Guffman where they're waiting for the uh, reviewer to show up, except for that movie hadn't come out yet, but I felt it when I saw that. But there was, there's two seats reserved for uh, Candace and Kurt Cameron and they never show up and we do the performance anyways. And afterwards, uh, the music teacher takes us out for ice cream and I start appreciating the simple pleasures as well. So that is how I got the acting bug. Thank you. This is Christina Schmidt performing Earth Boys, which has been done at Java Monkey Speaks that happens every Sunday night at Java Monkey and Decatur. And when the Earth Boy says he does not sleep when the moon is full, 
the moon has a dream in which she retorts, I, the moon, am all wasteful, bursting through the seams of space, and they, the earth boys, cannot blame my brightness for the ceaselessly awake craters in their skin. In the early years, they poked fun at me. They looked at the sun and called me small, called me cheese, as if this wholeness has an expiration date, as if I am something to be consumed. And Galileo thought he discovered me, as if I have not always been here. He looked through a lens from afar and marveled at how I am not a smooth thing, thought my craters to be a crevice of trauma to make a home in, and in the nighttime, the earth boys say my fullness drives them crazy, that it turns them into monsters. But now, they cannot accuse my fullness. They cannot blame me for their transformation, saying I made them into something they are not. My shining creeps over their skin and reveals the truth. How I am always full, and they are always monsters. And now the earth boys come to me. They marvel at how far from home I am, pat themselves on the back for conquering the journey that is myself. In this dream, the earth boys miss me as a crescent, a quiet sliver of existence to sit in, how they would watch the trauma of the darkness eat me alive, never realizing I have never been anything but alive. In this dream, where I am always full, there is no room for them. Not that they could live here anyway. They couldn't figure out how to breathe easy. They do not know how to inhale vastness. Here, their lungs are never full. They marvel at me, yet say I leave them wanting. They can't appreciate dust that does not settle. Gravity is such a minute thing when you control it. They do not know how close I am every evening to drowning the world in itself. They never asked. And so I scare them away. They mount their flags into my skin and go back to their easy breathing places. They fill their lungs with heavy air and use it to tell tales about me from afar. How the monsters come out to howl at me, and they are right. The earth boys have always howled at me as if they can scare me back into the dark. But they forget that there are days I am all blood before I am nothing, that even when they do not see me, my fullness still bursts through the seams of space, that I still have the power to drown the world in itself but I never do. So do not blame my fullness for your lack of sleep or your monsters. That is your own doing. Hi, this is Maddie Faye. I wrote the original version of this piece for a teller's show. And I also did a version at uh Story Muse show at seven stages. Frogs breathe through their skin and sometimes they die when you touch them. You do not breathe through your skin no matter how often you forget. So, breathe. That's the first thing, the now thing, the immediate must. Just make yourself breathe. It's good advice. The kind everyone gives. The kind everyone tells you like you don't already know, but you smile and you agree because it's good advice. Step one, breathe. Step two is drink lots of water, which seems sort of counterintuitive when you've sucked so much ocean into your lungs that you can never quite shake the feeling of drowning, but it is imperative that you do not let yourself wilt. Drink water even before you think you're ready, and especially if you've been crying, which... Okay, you haven't. You're just allergic to cats or 
static or loneliness. You could also drink tea or juice or milk, but if everything tastes like blood, it's really all the same. Sometimes everything will taste like blood. Keep breathing. Step three, make yourself a playlist. Listen to the mountain goats. Loop one song 400 times until you forget that your heart doesn't beat melody. In the moment the music stops playing, you'll worry at first that you've died. Be glad that you worried and try not to linger too long on any drop of regret you might feel about not having died. Step four, take a shower. No, really, take a shower. Eat some bread. Move around. Make some noise. Turn on a light. Trauma is funny. Like, funny weird. Like, Tuesday afternoon, two and a half months later, a song will come on the radio that makes you forget where you are. Or one day at work, someone will touch you accidentally and your skin will suddenly feel wrong and you won't be able to hear anything over the static in your head. Step five, call someone. You don't need to be like standing on a bridge to call a crisis line, by the way. It's cool if you just need to talk. 1-800-273-8255, that's the National Suicide Prevention Line. That's 1-800-273-8255. And I memorized that to put it in this piece, making it one of like three phone numbers that I know by heart, so you know it's important. Call someone even if it's awkward. It will probably be awkward. Remember to breathe. Step six, put some pants on. Go outside. Pet a dog. Pet 20 dogs. Talk to dogs. Talk to people about their dogs. Go for a walk. Embarrass yourself in front of your friends and watch them like you anyways. Do your laundry. Sleep. Watch the sunrise from a place you can't get to by car. Climb a tree or a wall or a ladder and remember why you love the mountains. Get up early. Talk to plants. Buy concert tickets months in advance. Plan a camping trip. Plant seeds. Always have something to look forward to. Start planning Halloween in September and Christmas in November and then force yourself to care about the new year. Forgive yourself if you get blackout drunk, but try to avoid it. Kiss somebody if you want to. It's okay if you don't want to. Make at least one resolution you can keep. Start reading more books, take up running, tell someone you love them, love someone. Talk politics with strangers. Put on a tie or red lipstick or both. Shave your head, dye your hair, pierce your nipples, get a tattoo, whatever it takes to make your body feel like home. Go to a protest and remember what it's like to feel a part of something bigger. You are always a part of something bigger, even when you forget. One day, you will wake up, make yourself a cup of coffee, eat some grapes, clean the kitchen. You'll call a friend just to talk. One day, you will let someone touch you, and when you look at their hands, you will not see his hands, you will see your lover's hands, and you will cry because they're beautiful. One day, you might find you are right back where you started. So go back to step one. This is not a failure. This is practice. The harder you have to fight to survive, the better at it you become. Frogs breathe through their skin, and sometimes they die when you touch them. You do not breathe through your skin. Remember that. Keep breathing. There are so many shows with pieces just like the ones you've heard being produced all over Atlanta. 
take some time, go see a show, and experience one of these pieces live.